Hi, it's Aaron Cohen, the host of Healing America, the podcast of Terrain Health. In episode two, the gut guru, Dr. Robin Rose, synthesizes hours of research on COVID-19 antibody tests, and she has seven reasons why she is very skeptical of this initial testing. Dr. Rose's message is straightforward for you. You must pay close attention to your body's overall health and particularly your immune function during the pandemic. We got some feedback about our first episode to talk a little bit about why we founded Terrain Health. And we want you to know that our practice incorporates cutting edge testing and genomic analysis to deliver precision individualized medicine. Terrain Health uses a multi-interventional approach to prevent and treat disease by optimizing nutrition, exercise, sleep, mindfulness, and mindset. The Terrain Health practice focuses on the why, not the what, of a person's condition, departing from the one-size-fits-all philosophy of conventional medicine. Instead, we treat the body's systems, not the disease, to help the person's own ecosystem heal. This is so important as we get ready to re-enter public life this summer. As you will hear in this conversation, antibody testing guarantees nothing. The gut guru believes your overall health has never been more paramount. I hope you enjoy this chat with Dr. Rose, the gut guru, and me, her patient, the host of Healing America. Hi, everybody. It's the patient, Aaron Cohen, with my doctor and the Terrain Health founder, uh, Dr. Robin Rose. How you doing, Robin? How was your week? Um, it was busy, busy, busy. We were doing a lot of stuff for Terrain Health, a lot of stuff with the other GI patients, a lot of stuff with the family. Um, I'm sure everyone's feeling, you know, the... Um, the effects of COVID-19 and being quarantined. And I think everyone can relate to how that feels. So it was a combination of all those things. How about you, Aaron? The weather was such a disaster. Disaster, but it's going to be beautiful this weekend, actually. Things are looking up as of, as of tomorrow. I I agree. Uh, We, we need to get outside. Um, So Dr. Robin, you know, we always talk at Terrain Health about the importance of, having your body as optimized as it can be and being, and, and, and one of those things is having a healthy immune function. And today our podcast is about the sort of myth of the antibody opportunity with the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, I know you feel strongly um, that the World Health Organization has it right this week when they say that the health sector, they really want to emphasize that there is uncertainty about all of the antibody tests. And you've created sort of seven big points that we need to think about when it comes to antibodies. So can we just get into it together? Sure, I would absolutely love to, absolutely. So let's start with the one that everybody really grasps, which is if I do have some antibodies, how long do they last? What do you think, Dr. Robin? So, you know, the WHO's organization, their emergency executive director actually stated, nobody is even sure about the length of protection that antibodies may confer and whether they actually fully protect us against COVID-19. 
The antibody test may also give false assurance, as you just alluded to, or maybe this misuse, which we're going to get into. But I just want to state one thing that our immune systems have been exposed to other coronaviruses and our bodies to other known coronaviruses have mounted, obviously, these IgG, like immunoglobulin uh, responses, um, antibody responses, rather. And those with those coronaviruses, we've seemed to, we've, on average, you can maybe generate antibody responses for one to two years at best. But we have no idea about this animal. This is a whole other beast, and we don't even have that information yet. And so I think there's a camp of people out there who want to say, look, since coronaviruses, you know, since antibodies generally give you some immune protection for at least one to two years, everybody's hoping that in the short term, there's something going with COVID-19. If you test positive for some antibodies, at least you can go out and hang out, you know, for the next month. But there's no guarantee of that, is there? No, and we're going to we're going to be touching on those points shortly. So let's immediately jump to point two. And again, this is like another one that people seem to have some knowledge about, which is the testing is incredibly inaccurate. And it's happened because um, the FDA completely screwed up the, um, the initial COVID testing program in January and February. And they, were, and they did it in a highly centralized way. And so they reversed themselves and said, hey, listen, anybody can uh, you know, any company can basically make an antibody test for uh, COVID-19. And it's become kind of a wild, wild west with tons of companies getting into the act and taking opportunity to try and make uh, antibody tests. And how's that going so far? Dr. So that's Robin? correct. So so the second point we're trying to make is that there, a lot of these tests have a very high false positive, which we'll get into in a second. And, you know, being that the being that the country itself possibly only has a 3%, maybe upwards at 10%, the most exposure rate, uh, having these these uh, high false positives is, is really concerning. So these, uh, these, these antibody tests still need to be validated. And clearly, we have a lot of work ahead of us, as you just alluded to. But really, before I get into this part, I want to just I just want to define what sensitivity is, Aaron, and specificity, specificity is. Do you think I should do that just so our audience has a little bit of a clear understanding of what I'm talking about? I think, that's I a think good so, idea. because it floats around the kind of the medical geek community, you know, with some regularity. But I got to tell you, as a patient, it's a struggle to understand the difference between sensitivity and, and, and specificity. And even as, a, even as a patient, you're reading all these articles and they say false right. sensitive, false, false, you know, false positive, false negative. So let's, let's explain to everybody. So what sensitivity, what, what sensitivity of the test, okay? So you want to have a test that's extremely sensitive and extremely specific. So you're going for that 99% sensitivity and 99% specificity or more to have an excellent test for antibody testing or any type of testing you do. So what sensitivity measures is, is how often a test correctly generates a positive result for a person who has the condition that they're being tested for. So that's meaning that they're a known true positive. That's the known true positive rate. The person has the disease and they have the antibody for it, okay? A test that's highly sensitive will flag almost everyone who has the disease and not generate many false negative results. Does that make sense? 
It does. Right. So for example, if you have a test with 90% sensitivity, you will get a return. The return will be that you'll have a positive result for 90% of those people that are they're correctly identifying 90% of the people with the disease. Okay, but it will also return a negative result, meaning a false negative for 10% of the people who have the disease and should have tested positive. So just to you know, digress for a second. That's the issue with not the antibody testing right now, but actually the COVID-19 testing. There is an extremely high false negative rate. So there is an issue with the sensitivity of that test. Does that make sense? It sure does. Awesome. And it's a big problem if people with COVID-19 think they don't ha- think they don't have it and they're walking around. Let me, let me tell you something. I've, I've sent patients already to the hospital twice that I know have covid I know they have COVID and they've tested negative twice already. Right. And how do you know from their COVID? symptoms, Why? Why from their that? symptoms? And we actually had a patient we, from their symptoms, from, from their, from their, from their co- collective symptom, symptomatology, see everything just as a clinician, I know that they have it. Okay. And then we've even had a patient, for example, where they tested negative and that we, we had a, we had to do a casket of their abdomen um, to see because they had such horrible abdominal complaints along with high fevers and all these other things. And we added a chest CT on purpose to see what their lungs look like. And they had infiltrate their stories like that all the time. Right. So, so there that, you go. That, 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 that gives you a really clear understanding of the problem of the false negative. Um, Correct. And again, people could be asymptomatically false negative, but they could be heavy spreaders of the virus. Yeah. So again, so, we should just be clear we are very, we, we come at this from a position of we're going to be living with COVID-19 for quite a while and we want people to do whatever they can to strengthen their immune system and boost their immune system rather than think there's a shortcut around the antibody test or of, of any kind, right? So Robin, you were going to, uh, Dr. Robin, I'm, as you know, I'm trying to switch to Dr. Robin because, because we got a lot of feedback from our massive podcast audience out there that I needed to move to Dr. Robin. And I've, I'm leaning into it, as Cheryl Sandberg would say. Um, Dr. Robin, what is specificity? So specificity, that measures a test's ability to, correct, to correctly generate a negative result for people who don't have the disease or condition that's being tested for. So that's also known as your quote unquote true negative rate. So a high specificity test will correctly rule out almost everyone who doesn't have the disease and won't generate many false positive results. So for example, a test with 90% specificity will correctly return a negative result for 90% of those people who don't have the disease, but will return a positive result, meaning a false positive, for 10% of the people who don't have the disease and should have tested negative. So this is what we're looking for with the antibody testing. We would like it to be nearly 99% or more specific because we don't want to have this false positive issue where people are walking around thinking, Oh my God, I had COVID and I'm just going to go out without mask and glove and not, and, and not social distance and so on and so forth. So that's a really big problem. So, okay. Yeah. On the bottom line with both sensitivity and specificity mm-hmm. is you want things to be in the 99 percentile area. Well, you, you want it want over, things... I mean, a lot of yeah. tests don't, I mean, but over 90, obviously, ni- over 95. But for this virus specifically, 
especially since we don't have much, much of the population exposed even yet. Like we want it to be as high as possible because we really have to nail down who has it and who doesn't and who the who the true false positive, who the true people are that have disease and who the true people are that don't have disease. So totally get it. Totally get it. So um, Dr. Robin, can we move on to point three? Yeah, I just I just wanted to say one more thing about this because of what you were saying with the manufacturing errors and all that stuff with the private sector, you know, the, the issue with the antibodies is that actually there's 14 different tests out there that are hitting the market. I just want our, I just want our audience to know this. So you have to be really weary of where you're getting tested, who you're getting tested by and make sure that they have good standards and even ask, Oh, what's the sensitivity and specificity of this, of this, um, of this antibody test that I'm receiving, who makes it, you can even look it up. Like, you know, people are so savvy with the internet and looking stuff up. So, you know, there's false positive rates ranging anywhere from three up to a whopping 14%. So we really, really have to be careful because there's a huge issue with, we need to be understanding like who's immune and who's not. And this is what's, you know, this is the issue that, that, that this false positive is bringing to the table for us. All right. Now, we are now mm-hmm. going to get into a bunch of your yeah. key points that are about mm-hmm. really how do antibodies work? What happens? And, I, you know, I'm finding out in preparing for this conversation with you, I thought, hey, if I have <laughs> antibodies, I'm good to go. But it turns out just having antibodies isn't enough. You need the right ones. Can you talk a little bit about that, Dr. Robin? Right. So the next point is, is whether or not, so if you generate an antibody, what type of antibody is it? So there's two, there's two types of antibodies. We want to know whether you've generated a neutralizing antibody or a non-neutralizing antibody. And in order for a person to confer immunity, you need to develop a neutralizing antibody. That, that, that at least so, is intuitive for us lay people. Neutralizing is better. I would think so. And I'm going to explain what that means in a second. So, so basically, many virologists have said repeatedly, repeatedly, I, this is so well, like written, like written, you know, multiple times over and over again. I read about this, that a serology test does not discriminate. These serology tests right now that are on the market are not discriminating between a neutralizing and a non-neutralizing antibody response. So a discriminatory test that that does that is much more complex. And we probably have to work on that, obviously. That's something that we need to get out there, correct? So only the neutralizing, so here's the thing, only the neutralizing antibodies have the ability to inactivate the invading virus, meaning they have the ability to prevent the virus from entering the cell. So this is how it works. When people get infected, they can make neutralizing antibodies and the non-neutralizing antibodies in differing proportions or one or the other. And it's still not clearly understood what makes an antibody neutralizing and another one non-neutralizing or why an infection leads to the production of more of one of these types of antibodies over the other. So the initial response, the initial immune response immediately following the infection is going to set the stage for our immune system, meaning what it remembers when it first came into contact with that virus or bacteria, et cetera. So if a person generates mostly non-neutralizing antibodies, the next time that they encounter that same environment, that they had, you know, the next time they encounter that same environment, that same virus, they are not going to be able to prevent an infection. 
that's really what most virologists and experts, you know, so, feel when it comes to neutralizing so, and non-neutralizing so simply antibodies. Put, none of the tests Correct. are yeah. checking for what kind of antibodies you're creating, whether they're neutralizing or non-neutralizing. And that could be another challenge. Again, this is all particularly because COVID-19 is so contagious and has incredible lethality, which we're going to talk about some more. So right. now here's the deal. It could, I mean, that could, that we, Aaron, that could be a reason just as an example, why some people, even though they get the flu shot, they might, they might've mounted more of a non-neutralizing antibody response than a neutralizing antibody response. However, just because they got the vaccine, it did confer some, some protection, but maybe it didn't work as effectively as right. you would have hoped because of this response. So that's that actually a really had. good example. There's a range of outcomes with flu shots. Yeah. For some people it works amazingly well. Yeah. For others, it doesn't. It probably varies yeah. season to season. Yep. Um, the, but, the, mm-hmm. now, so here's something I didn't know, which is your big point four, mm-hmm. which is some people mm-hmm. are not even mounting any immune response when it comes to COVID-19, as in they get COVID-19, but then no antibodies are formed. Talk about that. Yeah, this is really fascinating. So, and this could be with, with other viruses as well. And I'm sure it is. It's been written about that not everybody that gets exposed to a certain virus or infection always mounts an antibody response. And it's usually a smaller percentage of the population, but we don't know what that is in this case, because there's such a range of uh, presentations in this in this disease, correct? I mean, we the people that are completely healthy that we know that are you know runners and especially males in their forties that have not one problem have almost died, have almost died from this disease. So it's a very unpredictable disease. So, you know, what they think though is that if people don't have antibodies, it means that they haven't been exposed and they're still vulnerable, obviously. But there are reports of people with possible asymptomatic or mild disease. Those are more of the people that they think might not really mount an immune response. So you start, you should start to make IgG antibodies actually by three to four weeks out from having the disease. And they're seeing that even weeks after that in some of these patients that did test COVID positive or did have asymptomatic or mild disease that they, that they didn't generate antibodies. And a a personal story, my nephew and my sister-in-law my nephew actually subsequently did test positive to COVID-19. They were diagnosed seven weeks ago. She had uh, symptoms that would go with COVID um, as well, but she never got tested, but just my nephew did. But they live in, you know, a, a city, a New York City apartment. They were eating off each other's plates, for God's sakes, before he even had the symptoms himself. So it's very likely she had it as well. And they both got antibody tested and neither of them have antibodies. So there's an anecdotal so story that, right that, there. That's an anecdotal story of all kinds of possibilities. Their tests could be wrong, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it could be that they do have antibodies, but they tested negative for them, mm-hmm. or they True. didn't even mount a response. Mm-hmm. And in the case of your sister-in-law, mm-hmm. the evidence would point that out. But the point is, the 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 number of unknowns is 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 really staggering. And 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 we're another area where we're seeing this. This, this, the challenge of understanding this virus and how people respond to it is in the quality of their response. Or we might ask the question as we do in point five, how robust is, an immune, is the immune response? What do you know about that? So yeah, so that, 
Yeah. So this is interesting too. So, you know, depend, there are reports of, of this as well um, that are, that are coming out that they think the people that have cytokine storm and survive much more severe, prolonged, protracted courses with the disease, that they are likely the ones producing a much more robust antibody response. Okay. Where, like I just mentioned before, it's likely maybe the more mild or asymptomatic patients are not going to likely have a, as, as a robust response. However, the, the problem is, is that the current commercially available antibody tests are not qualitative. They are, they are qualitative, not quantitative, meaning that they're only giving you a snapshot of, okay, you, you have antibody present or you don't have antibody present. It's not telling you the, the actual amount of antibody that your body and that matters. has produced. that matters? Okay. Totally. I mean, so for example, a good friend of mine, a very, very good friend of mine from college who he um, is a physician himself and he went into... Um, cytokine storm. Thank God he was never vented. Uh, he never had to go on the ventilator or he actually refused to be honest with you. He wound up getting um, that IL, the IL-6 inhibitor treatment. No one knows and what is the IL-6. He got entered. I don't want you to go so down the IL, rabbit hole. IL-6 is, uh, yeah, okay. Just, it's just one of the treatments. I'm sure most people that are reading about it, that's one of the you know top few treatments that we've been using for patients that have COVID-19. So, so it worked out for or him. that are severely he, ill. He has recovered. So it worked out for him. But the bottom line is, right. But the bottom line is, yeah, I didn't mean to digress so much. So the bottom line is, is he's, he's just a good example of what I'm trying to say is he was able to enter into this clinical trial that is being performed at an area hospital in New Jersey in conjunction with Mount Sinai. And they appear to have developed assays that do quantitate so that, and the reason is, is because they're look, they're trying to get the convalescent plasma donors. And I'm sure people have heard about this for the treatment of the very severe, uh, severely ill uh, patients with COVID-19. That's one of the treatment, this plasma that we give. And in order to do that, you have to know what the IgG levels are. So he had, this friend of mine happens to have had a very robust response. He told me he had over 20,000. His numbers were over 20,000. So he's, he's what you call the super, call a super donor. So he already donated plasma once and he's going to actually be able to donate again because his levels are so high. So it's just, that's a cool story. Just but, to but, try but to but I mean, one, one, one thing that what I'm to trying take to away say. from that though, yeah. is if you can come through the fire of, of COVID-19, mm-hmm. Um, then you know you you might actually have a more robust uh, antibody presence in your body, but you wouldn't know because no one tests for that. I mean, your friend's a doctor. Well, not none of these tests seem this to be testing for that now, unless you're in a clinical at this juncture. Correct. All right. That's correct. So, but but you know, yeah, um, yeah, that's a very good point, point. Six. Are these antibodies able to distinguish between COVID nineteen, SARS CoV two? and other coronaviruses? So with other known coronaviruses, it's been shown that our antibody response can last, how I mentioned above, about one to two years. However, we're not sure what happens with this virus. We do, we do know that the antibody assay being used um, specifically for the COVID-19, that, that the antibody assay is not specific to the COVID-19 virus actually. So a lot, or a lot of them are. Some of them are saying they are, some of them are saying they're not. 
So basically what I guess what I'm trying to say is, is if you, there's other coronaviruses that, that have been floating out there, like some people that present with upper respiratory infections in the winter or the cot or what they think is a cold. Those, if you swab them, if you do like a nasal swab on them, it can come back as a type of coronavirus. Okay. So we've been exposed to these other coronaviruses, all of us over the last one or two years. So how do we know if this antibody response that maybe is turning positive for us is that and not COVID-19? So that's why it would be nice. It sort of blends with what we just talked about to know if you were, if you were, if you had the number, right? If you were, if you knew you had like this robust antibody response right now, you could probably safely say or think, oh, this is probably from COVID. If, if you knew you tested positive or, or if you, or if at least you knew you had symptoms during this time period that the COVID really became of epidemic proportions in the U.S., you would know, you know, this is pro- that probably would go with, with, with that. But we, we don't. But of course, the problem it is it's a qualitative that. test, so we, we can't not even a quantitative tell. test. So, I mean, or, or all of these tests are qualitative, not quantitative at the moment. So, so you, can't, you can't really get to that. And then finally, finally, the big finale now, here, um, you know, the seventh big point you make is that, you know, at a, at a kind of policy level, at a national level, there, there could be some great value to the trends we see in terms of testing for antibodies or testing for the virus itself. But that doesn't necessarily guarantee the individual to live their life as freely as everybody's talking about it out in the open. So talk about, talk about where, why yeah. you think there's a disconnect between sort of policymakers and how individuals might want to operate. Right. So as you just touched on, based on everything we just outlined above, that's why people likely can't really feel as freely as they want. <laughs> Unless they're maybe in a clinical trial, they can't live their life as freely as they want, right? So at the present, the information from antibody testing is largely unhelpful to individuals. At, at least I think so, based on everything that I've researched and studied and what we've just talked about. But it could be actually very valuable to epidemiologists and policymakers to follow rates of exposure and contact exposure in different populations so that you can figure out, okay, this community has been very exposed, this community has been underexposed, and that may sort of set policy for how you go about letting people start going back to work and how we start doing this dance of going in and out. Uh, Many medical experts, you know, you know, share the same sentiment that you know, reopening society with such a huge vulnerable population still at hand without careful consideration can be dangerous. And a lot of what we talked about alludes to that. And this allows this would allow for the virus to sweep through the country. And we have to be careful of that because, you know, people, you know, I'm sure people have been reading what the death rates can be upwards of. And, you know, I don't I'm not going to quote what rates because it, it's probably not not response responsible of me because it's all over the place and we don't know the true um the true rate of covid positives out there but it it could maybe be upwards of one percent and and even if that's the case that's that's 10 at times that's 10 times that of the yeah i'm I'm keenly aware and i think that this brings us to this i mean look all of us are trying to figure out how we're going to get back to some sense of a normal life Right. We've all been quarantining. I mean, the vast majority, if not everybody who's listening to our podcast, we've all been quarantining for this is the end of week seven, by my count, Dr. Robin. 
I, I thought we were at, yeah, I, I thought think we were this at is the end of week, week seven, yeah. but you Nothing. might be right. But I think this is the end of week seven. But in any event, yeah, in any event, it's been a long mm-hmm. time. And I think people want to get back, uh, you know, to some sense of, of normal life. And I think the reason we're having this conversation is to say, hey, as you as you weigh all the data, as you weigh all the stories, you, you got to not look for panaceas in an antibody test. It's not everything that's cracked up to be. And that's what these, these key seven points you've been making are all about, which of course we'll put up on our blog and they'll be in the show notes and all that kind of stuff. Um, Dr. Robin, what, what would you say to uh, the terrain health community about like what they should focus on as they, as they go about their lives in the next month, can, can, months, can you, months, can you repeat months. that Aaron? I'm sorry. I, I, I couldn't hear you. Sure. I'm sorry. Sure. The dogs are just like, no, 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 no. Like something there. happened with my, you know, technical. Oh, we had another, <laughs> we're, we're, no, we're having me. a lot of my, I right. hit the something on the phone. So what'd you say? I'm sorry. <laughs> so great. It's awesome. It's awesome. Come on. Everyone I loves knew, that we're raw. Come on. I knew, people. I knew we wouldn't get through this, you know, without some incident. You don't need to. It makes I agree. Real. I agree. I'm fine. I agree. I agree. We're that's what the kids would say. Um, what I was saying, I, I guess the, the, the I think the central question for everybody is, you know, for the terrain health community, h- how do we go about living our lives the next several months? Forget several years, right? I don't. We don't need to speculate way into the future. But like, you know, as people say, hey, come on back. You can start to do things. You can eat in restaurants, stuff like that. What? What? What should the focus be for the terrain health community on on staying healthy? I think everyone needs to optimize their nutrition and there's no time better than now to start experimenting with that and infusing all the color of the rainbow and fruits and vegetables, getting all those phytochemicals and phytonutrients into you on a daily basis, trying to be, you know, plant-based as possible, getting lots of protein, getting the sugars, all the starches and standard American diet, quote unquote, food out. Um, I think that we need to really focus on our exercise and trying to infuse that into our lives as well. Cause a lot, many of us live very, very busy lives and we don't, we don't um, focus on exercise and we put that to the back burner, including myself. I think we also need to look at sleep we're home now more. We're not rushing off as early as we need to, to get to the office. So I think if we can get that seven to nine hours of sleep, all that also is going to help with your immune system and building immunity. And lastly, practicing some form of mindfulness. It could be any type, you know, whether you do meditation, whether you do some sort of breathing, whether you uh, do yoga, also just opening your I know it sounds dorky, but opening your heart, just opening your heart and, and sending love and energy to people that you love and care about. Even, you know, Joe Dispenza, who I love, you can, you guys can Google him. He's fantastic. He's, he's all about this mindset and mindset work. He's on, he's a, he's a fabulous, fabulous mentor for this. And he did this whole podcast about how you, if you open your heart up for 15 minutes and you practice this daily, how it actually can change your, you know, how your immune system works, like, and how it can optimize your immune system actually um, at a cellular level and at a genetic level. 
So it's the combination of these things, adapting to these things, because we're all adaptable. We're, that's what human beings are. We always adapt to our environments. And it's now about adapting to this environment. And we should take advantage of it instead of, instead of not. Instead of just like sitting on the couch and watching movies all day, we should, we should do a little bit of work and try to change our lives a little bit because doing these things can, w- within days, will change your genetic expression and will change how your phenotype manifests and, you know, how your physical characteristics as a person change. That's what your phenotype is, whether it's, you know, in disease and, you know, uh, in, in health, whatever it is. So this is, these are the things we need to really be looking at and honing in on right now. And those are all those four things will all contribute to a healthier immune system. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's Dr. Robin Rose (laughs) with a really nice new version of the Terrain Health Manifesto. (laughs) Um, In all seriousness, uh, Dr. Robin genuinely believes that the best way to live your life right now is to live a really healthy life. If you really want to fight COVID-19 and you really want to and you really want to try and stay as healthy as you can. You just got to eat well, you got to exercise, you got to sleep. And, you know, that's a long way from kind of the way medical schools taught you how to practice years ago, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. That is very, very true. So So if we can try to start changing and implementing these things, you know, into our daily routine, everyone will be better off for it and everyone will feel better and live longer. So in future episodes, we will be talking in detail how, about the science of terrain health and how we can really show you and demonstrate to you why optimizing those four pillars of nutrition, exercise, sleep, and mindfulness make a huge difference in living a long, healthy, and happy life. But yeah. until then- and, and wait, and piggybacking what we just did, we're also going to cover the concept of herd immunity because I think a lot of people don't understand what that is. And I think we should tackle it for our audience so that they understand what it is and what it means for us as a society going forward amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Until then, this has been Healing America. Getting uh, getting to the gut of the matter. Right. Take two. (laughs) This has been Healing America, getting to the gut of the matter with um, Dr. Robin Rose um, and her patient, Aaron Cohen. Uh, thanks very much. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Take care. If you are interested in learning more about Terrain Health, please follow us on all the social media outlets, but particularly Instagram and Facebook, where we are at Go Terrain Health, G O Terrain Health. You should also absolutely subscribe to this podcast uh, because it makes me like particularly happy. And uh, we also have a newsletter that comes out once a week, and you can subscribe to that at terrainhealth.org. Our practice will launch formally this month. Uh, we are seeing some patients right now in certain capacities, so please feel free to email us at infoterrainhealth.org. The content in this podcast is for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should always seek the advice of your personal physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical medical condition 
or use of any supplements or treatments that we talk about in our conversation. Thanks very much.